you know, people are a lot more moved by what they feel in their heart rather than the facts presented to them. Martin Luther King's speech is, I have a dream, not I have a plan. What's the human element? It's the same problem as like we're treating people dying as statistics and not humans. And you see the power when you do treat them as human and how many people come to a vigil and come to a ghost bike versus just hearing, you know, 300 people last year. How many deaths is unacceptable? I don't know. Is it like five a day? You can get away with murder in L.A., just use your car. Mm-hmm. The Netherlands, like any other Western country, was a car country. And one day there was a girl that was six years old. She died. The dad of this, this little girl found out that every year 400 children died just because there were no bike lanes. So he wrote an article in the newspaper, Stop the child murder. You have the responsibility to make public space safe so that my children can go safely from A to B. And it brought tens of thousands of people to the streets in the Netherlands to claim road safety. They just started through trial and error building a perfect bicycle country. And here it is 46 years later. Now it exists. And now in France, the same thing is happening. The recipe exists. If you build bicycle lanes, you'll build bikers. So we have Zachary Rainu and Dana Variano. Hi. Hello. Hi. How are you both doing? Wonderful. Rather well, thank you. Yes, 2020. Wow. What a year to be alive. Yeah, any uh, year. And so we had something really that made an impression on a lot of people happen this week. You want to tell us about it, uh, Zachary or Dana? Um, yeah. Um, just by coincidence, I was on my way to pick up Sickle uh, Valley Jr. Um, on Sunday. And as I was coming up uh, from a coffee shop, I saw an ambulance pull out. I was kind of heading my direction. And uh, about a mile up, I almost um, uh, I came across a collision scene. And it had just pulled away. I didn't quite know what exactly what happened, but um, there were clothes around. Um, it didn't look like there was something really like a car was severely damaged. Uh, so I didn't quite figure out what happened, but like everyone knew that somebody got hit, but no one knew exactly what at the time. Um, but when I came back an hour later, you know, uh, one of the officers, they had already closed off part of the street were doing their investigation. And they had said that because uh, um, there was a car parked in the left turn lane. And I was under, couldn't understand why that car was there because it wasn't damaged. But they're like, oh, no, the person that got hit was the one that got out of the car. And it made no sense. And like, well, somebody fell in the intersection and this person got out of the car and helped them and when they came back uh, a car crossing uh, with set it hit them and severely uh, injured them Um, Mm -hmm. you know the driver was still there when I came back and she was crying Uh, but yeah I could uh, you know I I crossed the intersection Riverside and Whitsett a lot and I could see as the investigation grew that I knew that somebody's life had been lost. I had no idea it was a, a sheriff. Um, 
and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it just uh, you know in Valley Village. I live in Valley Village, and it really rocked our community. That street, Riverside, is a very dangerous street it's 40 miles an hour it's about an 80 foot wide road and even with bike lanes cars really zip down and someone was killed five years ago a block away um we've had tons of serious collisions uh in that stretch um and so you know i really felt like i had to do something kind of like in the same way as ghost bikes so you know monday i decided you know the same way i was like let's let's have a vigil and you know i didn't have much time because i knew we couldn't do it on wednesday because the community had a big meeting about airport noise and then thursday was supposed to rain so you know around four o'clock on monday i decided to do this and uh started calling around and you know when you organize a ghost bike you don't know who's going to show up um you just do it because you want to give people the opportunity. Um, uh, I came back at seven o'clock. My friend, uh, who's a cameraman for Fox Eleven, was so doing this, a piece. This is a vigil that included a ghost bike placing. No, but I mean it was in a similar vein. You know, I planned on spray painting shoes white, is you know to represent, and. Um, you know, I started calling around. Uh, Valley. Oh, right, because she was walking. Yeah, so I, I called Valley Traffic. I called um, the North Hollywood uh, LAPD uh, station, the uh, West Hollywood sheriffs, and um, did we even say her name yet? Yeah, it's Amber Least, uh, Detective uh, Amber Least, and and she uh, was helping an old lady across the street from yeah she had collapsed and there was video of this from the liquor store and you know this is like my my opinion but it looked like everyone when they saw somebody someone down in the street it looked like all the traffic around had slowed down um uh but then she kind of like once she helped them across she just started coming back and she was hitting the number two lane and you know what i see happen a lot especially in uh you know these these severe bike collisions is uh you know somebody um slows down for the you know they see something ahead they slow down the car behind is like what is this person slowing down so they right. zip on by they have a car tantrum yeah and they go whip around and I think that's what happened in this case. Um, you know, it's it. You know, this happens to you know people walking, people biking, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it just it raised a lot of issues in our neighborhood. And um, you know, I spoke with a staffer um, uh, who was like, "Well, what can you do?" Um, it was an accident. You spoke to somebody with the sheriff's department? Uh, I won't say with who, but okay. I'll just say, you know, someone with a government pension. Um, uh, and I was like, well, if the street wasn't as fast, you could have done something. It might have saved her life. Um, and, you know, there's still that pervasive attitude. Um, but... 
you know, this event, well, you know, we, there's the attitude about being, what can you do? Cars will be yeah, cars. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's it, it happens. An acceptable level of death, I think, mm-hmm. is how one neighborhood council member put it. Actually said that? Yes. Ooh. Yes, that happened, when was that, like, over a year ago, maybe. But, yeah, that's definitely how it's seen. Yeah, and who, what council person was that? I don't. It was. It, a, it was a neighborhood council person, not oh. a council member. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say the specific person, but it's definitely there's a lot on the internet about that one. <laughs> yes, people say things. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, so we had the vigil, and there was about 300 people that showed up to this, at least. Um, the share, uh, pretty much every sheriff from the West Hollywood division that wasn't working made the trip. Um, Chief Moore was there. Uh, it just was, a, and you know, for the parents of Amber, like I think this did help them out a little. Just seeing, you know, the output of love that was directly related to her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is, um, you know, part of ghost bikes. If it, you know, if people, sometimes you're able to get in touch with people, sometimes you aren't, but, you know, also in our community, a lot of people had to come that didn't even know her. Um, just felt really bad. Um, your community again is a Valley village. Okay. Um, although like this collision actually happened on the border of uh Krikorians and uh, Ruse district. Um so you do a lot of coverage of valley biking traffic issues. Well, as do we acknowledge that you're have an alter ego? Oh, Cicla Valley? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've you've come you it's like the Hulk now you're both you're I I, I just well really now s- it's like you just let it out to everyone. <laughs> we can everyone edit that knows. out. <laughs> no, some people still <laughs> don't get it. That's the funny part. Some people still don't get it, you know? Yeah, or they think you're sick, Livia. Yeah. I, I don't want to get into the ha- what happened to Fight Club. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, some people still don't make that connection. Um, well, I mean, you know, I mean, there's a lot to cover. And, you know, this one not just happened in my community, but it also happened right in front of me. And... God, even on Thursday, uh, I had uh, somebody from North Hollywood who texted me. It was like, a uh, cyclist has just been hit on Oxnard and Colfax. And it was like a weird morning because my daughter actually happened to be staying with the parents. So I was able to run out. Um, and it was a block of less than a block. It was 200 feet away from the house I grew up. So I felt like I had to go. Um, but, uh, you know, same thing. Um, that, you know, I got there, the kid, uh, I don't think the kid was seriously hurt. The mom who was already there, um, with the bike in there and she was frantic about, she lost the keys somehow while she was going through all this. Um, but you know, um, of course, like what the police said afterwards, or I guess what they were saying was it's, uh, it's an accident. Yeah, I mean, that's the most frustrating thing. I think I was trying to see how the news covered this incident because I'd really not heard much about it except through Zach, which was another frustrating. And, like, 
the Twitter bike Twitter sphere. <clears throat> and there's a quote from Sheriff Villanueva. It's unfortunate God had a better plan for her and she was called home. <laughs> if I was a family member, that would infuriate me. Well, I don't mean to <laughs> chuckle because that's how that's a yeah. lot of people's belief. But, um, but to think that, you know, that's the excuse we use for somebody. Um, and calling it an accident when it's, it is unsafe street design. It is people... Like you said, like r- road rage, driving very high speeds and uh, in uh, unsafe maneuverings. Um, and the LA Times, you know, also called it an accident after many, I know the the amount of work advocacy groups, specifically like LA Walks, are doing to do drop the mm-hmm. accident, it's crash, not accident, out of respect for families who have lost folks. It's not an accidental death, right? Um, mm-hmm. And still, they continue to use that word, and I think it's really hard. That um, just shows the culture that we're up against. As it shows it as an acceptable thing, because um, everybody has accidents. But so now, every time there's a fire, we all say climate change, and but when there's a when there's somebody's killed by a car, we don't make a connection between the, their death and and the design, the, the way the street is built, or yeah, you know. or the person in the car, mm-hmm. right? We say they're killed by a car. We don't say they were killed by another person mm-hmm. driving a car, mm-hmm. which is what it was. Um, I think that's the hard thing. A lot of folks feel like you know, you can get away with murder in L.A. Just use your car. Mm-hmm. You know, like I. You know, because obviously this has been on the forefront of our minds. Like, how do we get a little bit of a culture change? And, like, for me, I try and, like, backtrack and reverse engineer, like, how we got here. Um, Why people think that way. And it was something we tackled a little bit um, in October at CalBike, which which is a state advocacy um, bike conference. You and Dana were on the same panel. Yes. How we communicate. Yeah, it was it wasn't a coincidence. I <laughs> I was leading the panel and I wanted Dana on there. And uh yeah, it was it was a great panel and obviously like we only had an hour and 15 minutes and um also had Peter Flax, Alyssa Walker, wow. um Matt Tinoco and uh Chief Luna Ed Eden came up as well. Um and yeah, it's just it's something that we just don't dive into as deep enough as we should in this world and at end of the chief lunas right yeah yeah um about like why why people think this way and because like most of the people who we have these talks to on the other side they're they're not dumb you know they can rationalize but you know they're put in a certain environment where they've learned a certain set of rules you know they live their life with a car it's what they understand and you know how we start bridging the gap to get people to start thinking a different way i mean we've part of the thing is like we've shaped our streets for generations to maximize speeds um 
and you know the way we feel like we use a street like we have to hurry up to get to the next red light um it you it uh we're already kind of like engineered to think that oh well people don't belong on the road if they step their put their foot out there it's their own fault they should know better um and the streets are engineered that way so exactly you know how we connect with people you know i think this is something me and dana have like you know had a lot of conversations about yeah it's difficult it feels a lot like class warfare <laughs> which mm. sounds extreme but you know we're on you're on a different level the second you get out of a car in la it feels like uh, mm. i've been in a lot of fender benders here in my car and i've also been hit by a car twice very minorly but the way i've been treated by the drivers in both those cases was like egregiously different mm. in the amount like when i'm in a car i'm respect respected and people stop they give me their info both times the when i was hit on a bike they drove away after like me trying to get their info and them arguing with me that i was fine wow um and I just, I see how certain folks that I drive, you know, if I drive in a Lyft or I drive with friends who aren't um, great drivers, I see how they treat uh, cyclists or mm -hmm. pedestrians. And I'm like, oh, God. And I talk to them about it. And, yeah, it's just, it seems like it doesn't occur to folks. Mm -hmm. Or we used to get the craziest things at the Bike Coalition. People would tweet, like, cyclists and pedestrians don't pay for gas, so they don't earn the right to the roads like I do. Mm -hmm. And it's like the miseducation is just astonishing um, mixed with the entitlement of like space. Like I think our old Jesse who works at People for Mobility Justice now, our old coworker, put it really well when she would be like, we, we have such little space for us people to walk around in. Like mm -hmm. you cars, you have so much space. Can't you just like give us our space and respect it? Um, and that's sort of um, the feeling that we would love to get across to the world and does feel like exists in other places of the world. Mm -hmm. um, but in L.A. specifically, as somebody who moved here from the East Coast, um, seems very much bent on a, a car being a status symbol and, and earning you the right to something. So, Dana, you've... Uh, you are currently working at the LACBC or you did? No, in the past. Uh, I left in May? No, it was like... April. March. March. No, April. Time is an enigma. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier this year, last year, 2019. And what are you doing now? Are you doing anything bike-related? I work for a communications firm that works for issue advocacy. So some of it, some of it is... Um, yeah, like the Go Human campaign to get folks to like go places using their bodies, right? So, huh. who's it? Skag, uh, Southern California Association of Governments. And they they were at Ciclavia. They would have booths, right? At yeah. Ciclavia? Okay. Yeah. Um, I've probably seen it several times, and I just forgot. But no, I've been engaging more on a personal level with the uh, Safe Streets advocacy. Um, sunset for all. Oh, you're doing that? I've yeah, I've started to go to those meetings, try to help out because I do jobs on Sunset, and okay. I also live in Atwater Village, so that's just a. I mean, anything I can do 
to make the streets safer because it's just really, really hard to live here. And I have a car and two bikes and I'm very privileged. And yet I still find it very unsafe to get around. So I can't imagine folks who just have um, a Metro card. And getting less safe from uh, statistics. Yeah. What made you so involved? I mean, you w not everybody who has, what you say, two, two cars and two bikes? <laughs> One car, One two car bikes. and two bikes. Uh, yeah. You know, gets, identifies that much with the bike part of it. That's a good point. Um, I don't know. I think I moved here from New York, like I said, like six years ago, and I was, like, astonished at the streets and how unusable they were, um, mm -hmm. especially compared to, like, the walkability of New York City, I guess. And it just sort of opened my eyes. I've always been um, somebody who's worked for human rights and intersectionality of causes and this to me mobility justice seemed like oh wow this is like the base of the human rights pyramid and i didn't mm. even know it existed like how, how can we fight for anything else when folks are like dying before they get to school so um the base of the human rights pyramid <laughs> really can you want to i mean yeah i mean that was a bold statement but <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of how it felt to me when i started like learning about it I mean, do you want to um, give a sentence or two justification of that? <laughs> yeah, let me back that up. Uh, I just feel like when it comes down to it, like a lot of fighting for human rights is fighting for folks' lives to be better on the day-to-day -day and them to be, you know, have a living wage, have health care, have the right to speak their voice about things and be with their families and I think th all those things are very hard to do if you can't like leave your house safely and get where you need to go um, and I think a lot of like the systemic racisms and anti-immigrant stuff in our culture is very obvious in our transportation system mm. and very mimicked right by like redlining and things like that um, or how, you know, it seems like <clears throat> traffic patterns in Skid Row, how you can, like, fly mm. through Skid Row on a car. Um, so, yeah, that's what made me feel like this is super important. In addition to all the other uh, issues that are worth fighting for, this one, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. It's something I, f I feel every day, too, because I, you know, I s this was my line that never got picked up at LACBC, but, like, when we leave our cars, we're all pedestrians. Mm -hmm. Nobody flies from their car to their house or from their car to work. Like, we all know how, you, so I feel like that's where I always thought we could get in with people is the pedestrian angle mm -hmm. versus the bicycle. And the number one thing that um, Amelia Crotty, the executive director from LA. LA walks in the past said was the best thing we can do for pedestrians is put in bike lanes because it slows down the traffic which is the best thing for pedestrians yeah I kind of feel like what's good for biking is good for uh, safe streets yeah and so you know you could just use bikes as a, a marker 
workers of some kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they go they, they go hand in hand. I mean, like I, I'm 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 of the same way too. I always say, if it's a street that's safe enough for someone to walk, then you're obviously going to feel comfortable biking on it, uh, for the most yeah. part. Um, and so, yeah, I do believe that you know the pedestrian is the most you know. Uh, Prim- primal unit that we have to like yeah most vulnerable oh, mm-hmm. yeah work work towards cuz mm-hmm. that's you know whenever you take a look at uh you know our our most used places you know they're walkable environments uh you know third street promenade is yeah. closed off um hollywood boulevard could be could be, but I mean, yeah. you just see like just with the sidewalk space how much that is. Um, even you know parts of Beverly Hills, you can see mm-hmm. like how it's closed, you know, closed off in certain areas. Um, you know, Highland Park, um, Huntington Park. Uh, you know, there's tons of like examples where you can find like little small areas. Almost in you know most communities because we did initially have this footprint over a hundred years ago when um, the we had the private train system. Um, it just you know you had a train station like every five miles and then you set up uh, a small community where people there's enough space for people to live larger than what they were living in previously. Um, but, you know, people didn't have access to cars, so they could walk walk to it. So, you know, for them, like a 900-square-foot house was like a mansion compared to what most people were living in on top of uh, having your own yard. Um, so it's nice that you could find these parts, like, all across Los Angeles that, you know, have these little small areas, like Laverne, Chatsworth, um you know, that you could say, wow, this used to be a pedestrian area. Um, mm-hmm. And so, some still exist. But, uh, yeah, it's just we've we've gotten so far away from that. And even though we point to, you know, I, I don't, like, say, man, I want to go to Wilshire and just stand out there, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and, you know, biking is just another great tool that, you know, supplements getting around. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, there's, when you combine biking with transit or biking even with walking sometimes, depending on how you're getting around, it's it's amazing how handy it is to get around Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So this vigil, was it at the same time as this huge uh, sheriff's, involved in you know there was hundreds of people but then there was your visual oh well i mean like it was it was real interesting because like i you know i whenever i have a ghost bike you know i put it out there i let people know i don't know who's going to show up you know but you know it's it's very hard to coordinate you know who wants to be involved uh so you know i called back no one got back to me uh, Monday night, Tuesday after Tuesday morning. So I tried again Tuesday afternoon, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll all be there." I'm like, "What do you mean we'll all be there?" It's the like, family, oh, you mean? No, the um, the half of the the sheriffs. Oh, I was like, wow. I was I was really moved by that. 
Um, so that whole thing you were describing with my with the chief and everything that was that was the vigil. That was your vigil that yeah. you organized. Oh. Yeah, and uh, you know they said the family was. I wasn't sure until four or five o'clock that um, that the family was coming, but even then, I didn't know if they wanted to speak. And that's the one thing about these events is like you just don't know who's in a certain place that wants to speak. And you know, Damien Kevitt from Streets for Everyone, he helped me out a lot in organizing this. Um, uh, yeah. And his mom. I saw that. His who I, I owe his mom a phone call. So <laughs> hold me to that. Um, but uh, you know, but once the kind of, like the ball got rolling, the uh, I always say for these things, let don't let a family member speak first because it's just it's very it's very hard for someone to feel open. So it's good to have someone else set the mood. So the oh. captain uh, spoke, and then his uh, you know her her dad who just was, was a really touching person. Um, and then, you know, then everything started, uh, you know, it just took a life of its own. Um, his mom wanted to, who initially said she didn't want to talk, was like, I, I want to be the last one. So, you know, it's just one of these things like these events, you just kind of play it by ear. You see how it all all goes around. But... Um, yeah, I just, uh, uh, it was an amazing amount of people. Um, a lot of people weren't accommodating. Um, and just, yeah, it was just moving to see, you know, the, uh, sheriffs brought the family and there was like a 30 car, um, procession to, to get them over there, which was just, and then, you know, they just took over the street, um, um, Officer Benavides from North Hollywood Division did a great job of helping close off the streets. And, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's a somber time, but, you know, at least when you're doing it with the community, it gives you hope that we care about something. Um, and, you know, the next step is to turn it into some form of action, you know, not to directly say and involve you know the family because you just never know who wants to be participating but you know this is a you know a a person who served our community that's no longer with us because we didn't have safe streets and um you know nobody wants that mark in their own community um and you know everyone who lives in my neighborhood knows it's you know this isn't a one-off this happens even um i came mm, tuesday afternoon just do a quick little interview on nbc and right after they finished filming a car had almost run into another car right in the intersection in fact there was another serious collision the night before she got hit in the same intersection that uh, uh somebody was sent to the hospital so it's it's a dangerous street and um yeah but it's just heartbreaking it feels like there's so much outpouring and motivation and everything after there's a death but like the city when it comes to like implementing the millions of plans we have for safer streets like just won't act Mm -hmm. and 
at what point? Uh, yeah, it's like how many deaths isn't is is unacceptable? I don't know. Is it like five a day? Well, I mean, we don't have that high. <laughs> no, I know, but I just mean at uh, what point? When would they? At what point? They. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, the other problem too is. Uh, you know the the engineers a lot of them you know you go to school you learn how to design streets for cars so that's all you know you don't go in there to really learn about making them complete streets for everyone and you know there's people that like you talk about slowing speeds down they don't quite get it you yeah know? and we saw that with the the fake bike protected bike lane how much they favor cars in every, even in like the most perfect bike street that they were touting, right? It's mm -hmm. in every uh, point that it favors cars to bikes. What do you um, mean with my fig? Yeah, the my fig. What? How do they? Um, just the, the light timing, not letting more than one bike through at certain intervals. Um, the time, like the timing of the uh, the arrows and the pedestrian versus, like the late release essentially instead of early release. Um, what is that? I mean, I know the early release. Yeah. The the little white. Pedestrian so a car gets to go first, hmm. and then once the cars have turned, then the pedestrians get to go. But like that's how it is on Spring Street. Yeah. So but like you. Like, the cross-traffic has stopped. You would think the pedestrians start to go, which they all do, and then the left-hand turn lane gets the right-of-way. The left-hand tur turn lane gets turned off, then you get to go straight. That's a late release. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I don't so think that's what it's called, but that's what I call it. The engineers <laughs> on that project was, was LADOT or what? Uh, yeah, I mean, LADOT, probably Bureau of Engineering. Um, and we went, well, you went on the tour, and it's just very, it's very technical, and it's very like, well, look at this, like, look how this works according to this code, according to this, this, and it's like, okay, but we tried to use it as a group of five cyclists who actually bike, and it's unusable. Like, mm -hmm. I'm glad it works according to your textbook, um, but it's not working in real life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like there's they have something like where if you're going through the intersection that uh, after the cars go, then it's got a little green bike arrow and or signal and you go through and then it'll turn. It turns red, red after three seconds. You can get maybe three, four cyclists, even though the light is still super long enough, it'll wait and then redo it, which is part of it is it's just, you know, if you're a cyclist, it's like, is, is this is this working? Am I doing it? You know, it's not intuitive. It's not what you normally face. And so when you have uncertainty, that's some people are like, uh oh, well, I better go. I don't know if it's going to go right. again or if, if it's not triggering yeah. correctly. I don't know. And so that confusion is part of the problem um, with with that intersection. I um. I've, I don't currently go on there much, but I I did at least a couple times, and I do remember. I don't remember the specifics, but I just remember uh, going against a red bike light mm -hmm. at least one or two times, and I think it was probably out of frustration or yeah. Something. I also get tra got trapped there a lot. 
because it's protected but meaning if something like one lift pulls through that protect like it's not really protected right there's a few bollards so uh-huh. there's lifts that pull in there to pick up students usually around usc mm-hmm. and then you're just stuck in the protected bike lane i'm like i'm literally trapped huh. because there's a parked car to my left and a car in front of me so this is my my <laughs> my pro tip of like what i do in these cir- circumstances you because go over Fly. <laughs> well, if you're if you're at a red light and uh, you've got a turn lane next to you, and we already know that the signals are going to make let the cars go make a right turn first, um, or in some cases in spring left. Yeah. But we'll just say right to stay oriented. Um, what I'll do at the red light is I'll go on the left side of the cars turning right, and yeah. I'll go with them since I know that they're supposed to be turning right then that drops the illusion of, or had the fear of like, what if that guy doesn't read the light and goes ahead and hits me? Mm. So, you know, I, it's a proactive move. Uh, I believe there's something that changed in the law this year in terms of cyclists inhibiting turn lanes, Um, uh, which should be another episode. But uh, but r- nonetheless, it's just something I started doing um, on Spring Street when they first moved it to it was they they switched the different sides of the street before they went two way. I was like, well, yeah, I'm just gonna it gets me there earlier, it gets me out of their way. Um, so you know that could be an idea, something that they do, because I mean we've got turn boxes as part of Spring and Maine. And those are scary to use. Yeah, those are. Um, but these seem even less scary. Um, people know where you're headed, too, which also helps. So, so what action do you think might come out of the? Yeah. Well, that's a tough one. I mean, it's definitely going to have to be community driven. I'm part of the community, and. Um, you know, I've I've definitely been working on a plan to start adding protected bike lanes in, in my neighborhood. Um, I wasn't initially planning on Riverside, uh, but it's it's an important street. Uh, it's definitely our fastest east-west street, but it's just the the terrible part about it is like you'll look and there'll be nobody. Um, about 500 meters ahead of you on the street. People zip by and then it's just, it's an empty space for a real long time. It's just not an efficient street. So why cars have to drive, or drivers have to go drive 50 miles an hour? It makes no sense. There's just a lot of empty unoccupied space other than when cars are zipping. And it's, you know, the freeway is just to the south of it. It just parallels it. So why are we using our road as a secondary freeway? Um, uh, I mean, I don't know if my neighborhood owns stock and ways beats me, but it just, it, it, it shouldn't be that way. I mean, people in there and part of like what I try and tell people is like, this, this is your neighborhood. You know, are you trying to move people through your neighborhood or are you trying to use your own neighborhood? Yeah. What do you, what do you get out of it? Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, if you build it faster, car, more cars, are, people are going to drive through there. Um, you know. Yeah, and then you're going to be angrier. Yeah. Yeah. I your mean. Your neighborhood's going to have more traffic. 
I just tell people, look at your own neighborhood and like compare some of the streets in your neighborhood. Which are the most most desirable streets compared to um, to the other ones? Uh, why do you prefer it? And it's very simple in my neighborhood. Like uh, the quieter, narrower streets. Um, and it's funny, Colfax, which I live right off of, had a, we'll use the word road diet, um, years before that term kind of came in. And uh, I think our community definitely would not um, want to go back to the original configuration, especially with so many schools along the way. But um, But there are some inefficiencies, even though it's, Went from four, two lanes in each direction to one with a median uh, and bike lanes. But there's still some dangerous part of the engineering uh, on that street. Um, and that's part of my project is to make that a uh, more complete street. Um, my daughter goes to school there. She should be going there for another 11 years. We can ask her about that later. Yeah, let's bring her in. I want to, uh, <laughs> after we're done talking, I want to play the uh, interview I did today with the spokesperson for the Collectif Deal de France, which is the group in France who really spearheaded the the movement to or the support for the network of bike lanes that Anne Hidalgo, the mayor, has just managed to get put in. And... Wow, that was so long I almost forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, the, the One of the things that the person I talked to pointed out was, I'll just play it after our interview and, and you guys can hear it, um, was that I- in order to get this done, it required a lot of coordination between different groups. And, you know, you're talking about you have to, it sounds like personally... <laughs> drum up support to get, you know, specific roads uh, taken care of. And, you know, I feel like... Yes. Yes, <laughs> uh, yes, that you, you know, you need to be supported. But, yes, there also needs to be this happening all over the place. Yeah, and, no, I mean, yes, in that, like, it's all being run by volunteers. Mm-hmm. That's the... That's the heartbreaking and upsetting thing is, like, individuals who feel this needs to be done are doing it, like Zach, like the folks leading Sunset for All. And they're trying to formulate plans, talk to all the businesses, make sure that they have a plan that the whole community supports three cheers on, which is really hard to do. And then hand it to the council member on a silver platter. That's like the only way a council member would consider doing anything. And like it's just real, that's a really hard thing to do, right? You can do that, but it takes, that's absurd. That should be the government's job or at least should be not, should not be on the shoulders of like individuals because they care. So the other thing that this person pointed out, but will point out in this interview, which will happen in a little bit, is that uh, in places like the Netherlands, when it happened, you know, the Netherlands is known for being a place that, w- that we're trying to get to, right? And it, it didn't just happen because people are different people there. It happened because they had an energy crisis and then 
one too many kids were killed and and they and uh they were just they were car culture just like anyone else um but kids getting killed is part of what did it in the netherlands and people have had enough yeah. but what you know what does it take apparently yeah there was a huge movement of yeah mothers it's kind of like mothers against drunk driving but sort of mothers against driving <laughs> and uh but the difference was the government signed a huge and very strong like regulations and i think now in the netherlands it's that like the right goes to the slowest moving person so if you're if i'm a pedestrian Strict liability I yeah think. oh is that what it's called i think so so that's like when i heard that that blew my mind it makes so much sense um but i think that's the difference is like we i think we have the outrage and the the organizing maybe not on the scale that they did at a national scale but um but we don't have like the political will or leadership well how can you have the outrage and the organizing but not the, how does that not translate into political leadership well we have like mike bonin who's willing to put his thing on the line i don't think we, i think we have local and it's bubbling i like you like i don't think we have national scale like like they did in the netherlands or I think city. it's all I mean, it's I, very I, difficult right the, as where somebody worked for the la bike county bike coalition it's 88 cities and we had at the height of when i worked there we had seven employees hmm. so it's like how how can one organize with very little budget and so scattered for such for an issue that's so localized yeah i mean i um uh, it was in 2018. I went to NACDO was here in Los Angeles, and I went and uh, uh, NACDO. Uh, I'm sorry, a I National Association of City Transportation Officials. It's a huge uh, conference that we happened to host that year. Um, the LACBC. No, no, no. Um, just Los Angeles. Oh. It was held at the Wilshire, the the new, uh, new hotel downtown, the tallest building. Um, you know, Garcetti spoke. Um, it's it's a real it's a really big na- like national thing. Like people travel from representatives from almost uh, urban planners. Yeah, or yeah. Um, but uh, you know, we the the planners from Oakland were talking about their outreach process. And, you know, how they were involved and, uh, you know, they just they had it was data driven. It was outreach. Um, They was still like a trial and error process, but it's a process they put forth. Um, Whereas here, you know, we haven't had the best rollouts or the most committed. Uh, I kind of feel like after we pass Measure M, people are like, cool, people voted for this. Let's just throw it in there. And, uh, you know, we lost, a, you know, a few layers of interaction. So it was rolled out. Um, and, you know, you really have to do your homework and dig in. And unfortunately, like the weight of it all now falls on us advocates. And it's kind of unfair 
for us to be the ones that and like I kind of felt that way just even working there. It's like it's unfair that we are doing the work that they should be, be paid to do. Um, you know, everyone who you know, like um, we have you know elected officials, we have people that work at the Department of Transportation, but so much falls on our shoulders to get this thing get get this work done. The work being outreach. Um, yeah, things like the. Um the LA bike and pedestrian count which right. every other city government funds and does themselves mm-hmm. our city wouldn't even fund so that came out of you know we decided to do it yeah. three one 2017 was the last one um LACBT yeah and literally did it because we felt like we had an obligation for like the data and like we needed to do this for the city but um, yeah. it was... And it helped, ultimately. It was a financial loss, and, oh. like, that's absurd, right? And you're, you're, and it wasn't... Didn't have the funds to properly staff it, so, like, the data is probably not as good as it could be, and it, I don't think there's going to be... There was a 2019 one. But there there was. There the was. city actually paid for it this time, but okay. it was, it was scaled, scaled back from what we were doing. But uh, things like that are just, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that feels like it winds up just being like, it's not, it's not, um, it's just left to the advocates and, or it's left to the, to the organizations and organizations don't have funding to do it. Um, so then the, the, the person, his name is Stein, that you'll hear from later. Uh, said that they were able to speak as one, with one voice. There were, were a lot of organizations who were able to speak with one voice, and that was very powerful. Mm-hmm. And is that going to happen? That would be tough. I mean, I, I, w- I hope so. I mean, <laughs> I, I've worked in a lot of different communities like i've said and the mobility justice one is one that has the most infighting that i have ever seen in my life Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i maybe not um there's a lot of fighting about very detailed things that don't matter um Mm -hmm. from my perspective (laughs) Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of of calling out culture there's a lot of calling out you're not this enough you're not that enough you're too this you're too that Uh. Uh, between organizations, between people, um, that's really bringing us down. What are some organizations and people like? Well, okay, so we have lots of LA Walks. We got LACBC. We got People for Mobility Justice. We got Vision Zero. We got uh, different people have different nonprofit organizations. Anything? Um, any big? Well, I, I think like it actually has gotten a little bit better the last few years. But part of the problem with the nonprofit world well, the is big ones. like SGB. Yeah, uh, there's just a lot of you know there's turnover. We're nonprofits. The funding cycles, um, and it's you know it's hard to get people, um, you know, a, a consistent base um, of you know. I mean, when I was working there, like, I quickly became a senior employee, <laughs> really quickly. You say um, it was, I, the way you said it was funny. <laughs> I know. Like even I became a senior employee. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> but uh, 
but yeah, I mean, because you know, it's it's tough working in the nonprofit world. You uh, don't get paid a lot. You want to raise a family, but you don't have a pension or health care or um, sick days to pay for you. If you know, um, you didn't have health care as a senior. We did, we did, but um, uh, but like not every organization yeah, is, not is able to offer that. Um, you know, not it, for families. Yeah, um, yeah, and the time, it, a lot of time on the weekends. Yeah, um, but I mean, but even no, if it's more. Th- it's it's and it's less between organizations and more like being on Twitter. Um, Zach's. Hurt my shoulder, shoulder somehow. Oh, I, thought you, I thought you said something that you regretted. <laughs> Me too. I was like, oh, God. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Um, no, it's Your like the Twitter, NIMBY, YIMBY, <sighs> BIMBY, JIMBY whole thing. And the, uh, like, it's just too much. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's too much. Yeah. It's I too mean, much fighting and not enough single voice, like you said. Yeah. Rising, and, rising each other up. And, and is that just because we're weak? Because here the car is, is so <laughs> dominant that we're squabbling over scraps? I don't know. I'd say that's part of that's, it. But yeah, maybe. It, com- it comes down to leadership. You know, any any type of movement needs some type of voice. And I think that one of the larger problems we have in the, the mobility community is, you know, we turn a lot to stats and figures to justify what we're doing, that our work is being done correctly. But when we're trying to connect with people outside of our circles, like that doesn't seem to care or resonate as much. Yeah. Like, oh, you're building me a bike lane to a supermarket? Big deal. I drive there anyway. So I'm gonna care about you know, care about that. Um, and sometimes like the stats don't aren't gonna resonate, but like uh, I, I keep always pointing to this talk from Simon Sinek. Did I, I think I brought him up at the Cal Cal bike, but uh, Simon Sinek. He's a. It's his, it's his actual name. It's called S I N E K. He has the second most watched TED talk of all time, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, begin with the why, not the how, because uh, you know people are a lot more uh, moved by w- what they feel in their heart rather than the facts presented to him. And, uh, you know, he was saying, like, Martin Luther King's speech is, I have a dream, not I have a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, what you have to do is you have to tell people to aspire for things. So when I talk to bike, you know, bike lanes to people in the community, I don't necessarily, especially in my community, I don't talk about, the bike lanes directly. I talk about um, what would it take to make our community quieter, like what what makes it a, a more livable neighborhood. Um, do we really want cars zipping down everyone's street? You want to, you know, and plus it helps your land value. Uh, you know, bikes are just a component of that. Um, you know. Uh, and so, like, you know, there's, there's certain ways you have to communicate to people that they and, you know, I think of, like, one of the person I have to convince is me from 15 years ago. Mm. Um, I would see somebody biking on a street and I'm like, that guy's got to be crazy. I better call 911. <laughs> um, but, you know, I 
I don't think I'm that much smarter than I was 15 years ago. It's just, you know, that was just growing up in Los Angeles, how you thought about how our streets were being used. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate that I came this way, um, but I don't think it's a, like a typical path that other people would find. Uh, so I just still just try and say, how would have I convinced myself 15 years ago that uh, being able to to walk and to bike would be in my own self-interest? Why would why would I be inspired to do something like that? And so I think that um, that's like a big gap that we have in terms of communications um, uh, across the board in connecting and getting people out. Yeah, a lot of the game, it feels dominated by planning. The planners, and I think they tend to talk in numbers and mm-hmm. wonky language that people do not understand. You mean the people who are uh, on our side? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. But I think also those are the folks who are infighting with each other. Uh. Um, like you didn't plan that right. Well, you planned it according to this, and I planned it according to that. Mm-hmm. And technically, uh, I feel like it's a lot of, well, technically. <laughs> and it's like, well, when it comes down to it, what's, like Zach said, what's the human element? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same problem as, like, we're treating people dying as statistics and not humans. And you see the power when you do treat them as human and how many people come to a vigil and come to a ghost bike. Um, I don't think, you know, that neighborhood council member would say this is acceptable if they saw that, you know, versus just hearing, you know, 300 people last year. Yeah, yeah, because it's abstract. Um, So I want to get into uh, just I know, Dana, that you've biked in uh, the Netherlands, and I wanted to get into that briefly before I play this interview. But um, Zachary, so... I just had a question. You you place a lot of ghost bikes? Uh, you know, I've been helping out Danny with doing the ghost bikes in the valley, San Fernando Valley, Danny and San, Santa Clarita Valley a little bit too. Nina Moscow's the definitely helped me out up there. Um, but yeah, in the valley, there's probably about like four to six a year mm-hmm. since I started in 2016. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, it's weird to play so many bikes, and I still don't know what I'm doing. I just do it. It's just something that I feel needs to be done. Um, and, you know, personally, like, I don't know. It's it's a journey. I'm just trying to figure out, uh, you know, the, the connection of, of of all these. And it's just... Uh, it's hard when you do so many of them. You ask yourself, am I, am I losing the human element from doing so many of these? Um, is it just acceptable? Uh, it's just because, you know, at the same time, it just emotionally takes a lot out of you. And when you're hmm. painting that bike, you know, that bike represents that person. You would not be painting that bike if a person didn't die there. And so... Like, you know, this is one of the last forms that someone knows you occupied this planet. Um, so, I don't know. It's 
a lot of emotion. It's a lot of trying not to get emotional to, um, cause it's just very hard to be that vulnerable all the time when you do these bikes and, uh, uh, same with this vigil we had, um, you know, it was a big news story because it was a sheriff. Um, but I didn't know that, you know, uh, it was just, uh, sometimes people have stories, like stories that connect more. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's hard, um, to do these, but you do them because, you know, it does resonate with people. Um, some people ask and people ask questions while you're doing it. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I hope nobody wants to, you know, nobody has to do it, but if there is one in your neighborhood, you should try attending one of these, help out and understand a little bit more about why we do it. And if anybody wanted to get involved in any way, there's a organization yeah, I think uh, if you follow ghostbikes.org, um, um, you know, Danny's been, you know, the one that has been placing all these ghost bikes across L.A. County and then some. Like, you know, he travels sometimes to Oxnard to Orange County, um, San Bernardino. So, you know, I just was trying to do whatever I could to get the miles off of him because... Um, yeah, I'm just covering the valley, which is about 20% of LA County. So force, you know, that's about one every every other month, almost. Uh, so when you multiply that with the number of deaths, um, yeah, it could turn into a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. So and then we and then as you said, we from there you hope there's you know, something comes of it uh, in terms of, you know, action at some point, someday. Yeah, I mean, I know the city's taken on the HALO program. It's very new. Um, but... Um, What's that? Uh, it's these rainbow halos that uh, signify... Uh, where someone's been lost. You have to apply for it. It takes a few months. I think the first one was placed in Winnetka, where Sebastian Montero was a ghost bike I placed, and there was about 100 people. Um, he was a high school student at Reseda that, uh, uh, you know, Bob Lumenfield started the program. Uh, and... Uh, I know there was another, there's been a, a few that have been, LA Walks and Family for Safe Streets, Family SoCal for Safe Streets have been involved too. Um, you know, it's a memorial, um, but it was a permanent memorial, which is, which is great. But, um, but yeah, it's just one of those things like you just put a lot of these things up. And Ghost Bikes, it'd be great if they're permanent, but we don't, you know, expect them to be. Um, so having something permanent is nice, uh, a nice tribute to the people, but you just, yeah, it just is another layer of involvement. Uh, 
anything else about how we communicate? <laughs> We're both speechless. Well, <laughs> I think we got to keep, yeah, call each other in, translate the jargon. Call each other in, not out. Yep. Taking that one from you're gonna bring, we're gonna bring the, the yeah, uh, the kid, <laughs> a special so guest. Yes. So can you talk, Dana, about your trip to the Netherlands just before I played this interview? Yeah, totally. I went last June. I, I you can tell I'm very good at memorizing time, <laughs> uh, me remembering time with my parents to the Netherlands, and we biked from. Amsterdam to Bruges in Belgium. Okay. And it took us six, seven days. Wow. What a and trip. Yeah, it was spectacular. It was mind boggling as a somebody coming from Viking in LA, just oh. how different it was. I was ready for it yeah. because that's what every, you know, you start learning about bikes and then everybody's like, but have you been to yeah. <laughs> the Netherlands? Yeah. Um, and it was just amazing just how the culture was not only like the bike paths and everything but how the culture was just so that like we would be 20 bicyclists coming because it was a big group and there would be a big truck the truck would just stop and wave and let like 20 bicyclists go right and then just go and like we rarely came across anybody that was uh not a truck huh. it was either trucks or people on e-bikes huh. once in a while a car in six, how many days? Yeah, six days. Um, so this was Belgium too. Mm -hmm. Couldn't really tell a difference between the bike path. Like the bike paths in Belgium were just as good, sometimes better, um, than the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And certain things went along, like with with the biking and the culture. Like there was what beer and French fries. Right? <laughs> yes, lots of those. The beer, uh, lots of cappuccino as well. Um, yeah, they, I just felt, um, you know, like they know how to live. Yeah. <laughs> it was sort of the feeling. Or maybe it's just time. Yeah. Time felt it. very slow, um, there. So yeah, maybe we just need to, r to go backwards or yeah, just let it, I don't know. Settle. Let it settle. And we have a very special guest right now, Sikla Valley Jr. Hi. How are you doing? Good. It's good to see you again. And uh, so have you, what have you been doing since the last time you were here, which I think was, was it last Friday? Was it this Friday before? I don't remember. Me neither. But uh, what, what, what have you been? I've been with two. Two weeks, yeah. Two weeks, two weeks thank you. Are you, have you done any uh, riding? Yeah, I think. On the Wii Hoo. On the Wii Hoo, right? Yeah, on the Wii What is really. a Wii It's just like a, 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 a chair, but with one wheel the back attached to a, a, a big bike with two wheels. And then there's like pedals to help. And then on the back there's like, and then inside there are like pockets. Hmm. And uh, next to the sides of it, there are like little pockets, and then... Do you put things in the pockets? Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Does it have a cup holder? Can you have a drink? Yeah, those are cup holders. 
She has it really good. Sounds like a way to travel. Yeah, I know. I've, I've actually seen adults in there. I'm just too big to fit. But when you're old enough, Ellie, or Secret Valley Junior, <laughs> um, you're going to be driving me around. <laughs> <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Is it true, Secret Valley Junior, that you're going to go professional someday? Yeah. It's like low cross. <laughs> yeah. Oh, tell them, tell them uh, who did you meet at the race that gave you a jersey? Corinne Rivera? Oh, so once when I was like five years old, I saw Corinne Rivera. She came in first place and then she looked at me and she also gave me a jersey. Wow. (laughs) Did you know who she was before? Yeah. You're You're a race fan? Yeah, he also, she also made a race one day on TV one day, and she won. Wow, so you watch races? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she loves watching the Tour de France, don't you? Yeah. And we loved watching the Tour of California when it was still here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so she wants to race bikes one day once we could teach her how to race bikes. Well, we could use a, r- a race r- r- correspondent. To, we don't really cover that much, but maybe. Ellie, you want uh, Seco Valley Junior? You want a job? Cover races? Yeah, one day. <laughs> well, when's the next race? I don't know. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. You're dropping the ball already. That's got to be a bike metaphor. <laughs> All right, we're gonna ra- go to the uh, interview now with Stein from the Collectif of the Ile de France. Anything else, anybody else wants to say? I really love hearing your French. It was really <laughs> spot on. It really took took me away. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure like the, inter- yeah, the international audience is just going to be off the charts once they hear that. That's what we're going for. Well, yes. with, you know, apparently the, the French are very uh, strict about people pronouncing their language. So if we want to get a, a like a spot of the um, part of the market share in France, we really need to Nailed get it. those accents down. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, if, if that's all for now, uh, thanks for coming, uh, all three of you. Dana, Zachary, Ellie, and we'll see you again. Fairly well. I've got my helmet and pass, now it's time to go. Time to ride my bike a little fast, a little slow. I keep safe and smart and have lots of fun. What a joy to feel the breeze. Van Osteren, and you're with Ile de France. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Dutch person. I lived half of my life in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. and my second part of my life in in France, in mm-hmm. in the larger area of France. First in Fra- first in uh, sorry, the larger area of Paris. First in Paris, and then I moved to the suburbs of Paris. And in the suburbs of Paris, in the city where I live, it's Fontenay aux Roses. It's a small city where I started the biking club to promote bicycle policy and, you know, bikes in the street. Mm-hmm. And uh, later on, I, um, I, I started to, to federate bike associations because if you want to run to make a region bikeable, 
you need to have a bicycle network and you can only do this when you're when you're a big group of several associations that that cover several cities and um that created so much enthusiasm Mama. here that we said Mama. hey let's create a, this network for the Mama. whole larger paris Mama. region sorry and that's <laughs> I'm, I'm having some distractions here but go on yeah so and that's uh, so that's what what happened so we started uh, we, we created this this collective this federation of paris bike associations and i'm the spokesperson of that uh, federation so you're the spokesperson for the paris bike federation yeah well it's it's the larger paris i mean we haven't invented the english name for it but i guess it would be something like the larger paris bike federation that's how i would call it what's the french name Collectif Vélo Île-de-France. And you were mentioned in an article I just read about the, I guess you would have to say, the explosion of bike networks in France and especially Paris? Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, I, can, I can tell you what happened. Mm -hmm. In 2015, when Anne Hidalgo, who's the current mayor of Paris, she proposed a, a bicycle plan for the city. And it was adopted unanimously. And the most important part of that uh, bike plan was to create a, a bicycle lane network that would that would cover the whole city. And uh, it took some time to start building it. But uh, at the end of the, the period, which is coming to an end now, because we're six years later almost, um, they really they speeded it up. And now we're at the point where it's going to be finished. And as soon as the, the little parts uh, became connected, um, there was a real explosion of, of bicycles in the street. Because uh, until that time, until that bicycle network existed, uh, well, people, they couldn't go from A to B in a safe way. Because they knew that if they would roll on a, on a bicycle lane, it, it, it would end somewhere and they would be mixed up with, with the cars. And that is, you know, that's, that's not comfortable. And many people or not uh, experienced bicycle riders, they cannot do that. So once that existed, we saw a real explosion in, of bicycles in the streets of Paris. I mean, two weeks after, uh, for example, the, the part in the center of, of, of Paris was done, it's the Rue de Rivoli, it's, uh, it's, in the, uh, it's an extension of the Champs-Élysées, which are very well known, of course. Yeah. Um, two weeks later, 30% of all the people going through that street, uh, without counting the, the pedestrians, were bicycles. So until that time, you had 10 cars, and then three weeks later, you had seven cars and three bicycles, which is incredible, because if you take away 30% of all cars, I mean, you take away a lot of, uh, you know, bad lifestyles, uh, pollution, uh, time, uh, waste of time, uh, etc. So that's, that's what happened here. It created a lot of enthusiasm. The mayor even put a bike counter on next to the uh, town hall and it's a kind of a you know um, a pole with um, a screen on it that counts the number of bicycles that are passing by so you can actually see the explosion with your eyes you can see that at a certain time there were almost as many bicycles in the street than cars wow. and in uh, yeah it's 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 fantastic what is happening here so the the statistics are like what uh, it's an increase of of 50% or something like that it was uh, between september 2018 and september 2019 so in the year that's right behind us there was a um 50 a 54% increase 
But then there was another thing that happened. On 5 December, a big strike started because of the, you know, the government is changing the, the pension schemes and many people are not happy. So there was a, a, a strike started. So uh, there was no more public transportation. So what happened is that many people who already started thinking about, hey, maybe I should choose the bike because now we have this bicycle network. Well, there they actually, they, they had a, a boost to, to really do it because it's, it's very difficult psychologically for us, for human beings in general, to change um, habits because we're very attached to our habits. And uh, so then the number of bicycles uh, really was, was doubled and tripled. Because uh, so we had this, this bike explosion of 54% anyway, even without strike. And then after the strike, we had, you know, plus 200, plus 300% of bicycles in the street. And so that's what we're dealing with now. So, and, and the thing is that everybody sees it now. So before, you know, the bicycle was considered as, you know, just uh, some um, spending some night time, like a sport, for example, like a leisure. But now... Even the, the car drivers, they see that it's actually a solution for transportation. Because I give you a, a, an interesting number, 40% of all car trips in France are less than 3,000 meters. I mean, how many miles is that? 2,000, maybe two miles or so. So it's a distance that you can cover by bike in um, 12 minutes from door to door. Why would you take a car pay 6,000 euros, pay, you know, seven, $8,000 a month to do short distances. It's going to give you a bad li uh, lifestyle. It's going to cost you a lot of money. It's going to make you waste a lot of time. It's going to cause you a lot of stress. Uh, it's, it's going to make you unhappy. Whereas on a bike, you can cover these distances very easily. So this is, you know, people, they're discovering a new lifestyle. And what they're discovering especially is the freedom, the freedom to move. Because... Uh, you know, we st many people, they still have this image that uh, the car gives freedom. Yeah. But nowadays, there's so little space, because there's so many people in a small space now, that the car takes up too much space to actually uh, have this, this freedom. And the bicycle gives the, the, the same freedom as, freedom as the car used to have, namely the freedom to go where you want to go from A to B, but without the disadvantages, namely getting stuck in a traffic jam. So it's, uh, it's, it's, a new, it's a new explosion of um, new mobility, of a new freedom of movement. And freedom of movement just naturally makes people happy. Mm -hmm. So this is, is it the whole country or is it mainly? No, no, no. It is um, because the, the, the bicycle uh, policies, they really go by city. And um, that's why Anne Hidalgo, the mayor of Paris, could do this in Paris because she's the boss of the whole city. So she could decide uh, to make this bicycle network. But the larger Paris region consists of, you know, you could say eight states, you know, that have their own policies. It's, it's big um, uh, departments. That, that's how we call it here, département. And they have, their, uh, they have their own policies. So the challenge for us as a network, as a federation of bicycle associations, was to, or still is, to get all the, these different, you know, uh, let's say, small states together, these different départements, uh, to decide together, to create together this one bicycle network, so, so that we make the whole larger Paris region uh, bikeable. And that is what we did. Um, so we sat together in April this year, 
and uh, we took out some um, uh, some some pens and we started drawing literally on a on a big map of the larger Paris region. We 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 you know we we drew the the bicycle paths where they should be according to us the users of uh, of, of bikes, and uh, we worked on it for eight months. And a couple of days ago, we um, unveiled it to the press. And now we've started talking to the um, to the politicians to ask them, how about this plan? Would you want to to finance it? And the one after the other is very interested. <clears throat> Two departments have already said that they agree. So they financed uh, a little part of our um, uh, federation because with our federation, what we do is we help um, the implementation of this plan. It needs a lot of expertise because, uh, contrary to what you could think, um, making a city bikeable, it, it requires a lot of knowledge. It's, it's not just something you can improvise. It's not just a question of, uh, you know, just a couple of bicycle lanes and you're there. No, it's, it's very um, technical. Um, it's difficult to, to make um, intersections bikeable, for example. You should never forget intersections. That is the most dangerous zone. So you should take care of that. And all these little details, we have the knowledge. We even wrote a book about it that is online. It's in French, but you can download it. And it's it's fantastic. It was made by Paris en Selle, which is the Bicycle Association of Paris. And so now we're really making a tour amongst the politicians to make them as enthusiastic about this plan. And the good news is that they are interested. Even uh, the boss of the region, her name is Valérie Pécresse. She's the highest politician in our region. She says, uh, this is a fantastic idea. Uh, I want it. Let's sit together and see how we can uh, manage it. Because the challenge that we have is, is really the governance. Because she is the boss of the region, but you know she doesn't own the streets. Because the streets, they're owned by these departments, these départements, these little states. And so we're really in a very exciting period where we are building these links between all these uh, these different people who have different powers uh, to make it work. It's like when you have a building, an old building like in Paris, there are many old buildings where there are no um, uh, lifts, there are no um, elevators. And so sometimes you need to buy to, to build an elevator in the building. And when you do that, you don't talk with only the people who live on the, on the second and the fourth floor, for example. You really need all the apartment owners in the building around the table. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're really doing what you can call bicycle uh, diplomacy. You know, making everybody agree that, one, it's a good idea, and we should uh, establish it together. And um, so it's, it's basically we're, we're extending the success of Paris, because it's Paris uh, already created its bicycle express network, to extend it to the whole Paris region. It's going to take some time, but it's going to come, and we're going to really to make, uh, to turn the large Paris region in the first bicycle region in France. And, and you're looking towards the Netherlands too, right? At, at, at what they've done. Yeah. And you're saying, one thing you mentioned to me in an email is how what took the Netherlands 30 years to do can now take other countries less time because yeah. the recipe is there? Exactly, yeah. Uh, because many people, when I start talking about bikes, you know, some, sometimes in France they say, yeah, Stein, but that's, you know, you're, it's easy for you to talk because you're from the Netherlands and they have a different culture. It's in their culture, biking. Mm -hmm. But then I can answer, it's not true at all. Because in the 70s, uh, the Netherlands, like any other Western country, was a car country. 
because uh, oil was cheap, a car was the symbol of freedom, everybody wanted to have a car, it's normal. And, and, but in the 70s, things changed, and there were some uh, events that really caused the change. It's not because of the culture, but it's because, first of all, uh, the, the car invaded all public space, not only the streets that, that were really clogged, but also the, 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 the squares, everything was turned into a market. Children could not play um, outside anymore. So, you know, the, the place to live really changed. And the second thing was the um, road safety, the huge lack of road safety, because with all these cars in the street, um, the streets had become dangerous. There were many people that were killed, pedestrians and also uh, bikers, people's on, people on bike. So the people said, hey, we need to change something. And, and one day there was a girl that was six years old. Simone was her name. She died. And the, it turned out that the dad of this, this little girl was a, a famous journalist. And he was shocked by the, the event, of course. And he started investigating. And he found out that every year in the small country of the Netherlands, 400 children died in the same conditions just because there were no bike lanes. And so he said, so he wrote an article in a newspaper and he, he uh, gave it the title, Stop the Child Murder. Stop yeah. the Child Murder. And, that's, and that article, it really it, it put the politicians in front of their responsibility because basically what he said was, you have the responsibility to make public space safe so that my children can go safely from A to B. And it brought tens of thousands of people to the streets in the Netherlands to claim road safety. And then that another thing happened in 1973, there was the oil crisis. You know, the, uh, the oil producing countries, they, they lowered the production. And so the prices, they really, they, they, they skyrocketed. So the Netherlands could no longer buy uh, oil. And, you know, just like today, uh, the, the economy flows completely on oil. So we, we realized in the Netherlands how fragile we were, that from one day to the next, uh, we had no more oil. And um, uh, whereas our economy was completely dependent on oil, of course. So it's all these elements together, you know, the invasion of public space by the cars, uh, road, uh, lack of road safety, and this energy problem that really um, made the Dutch government think. They said, hey, we have a big problem here. Uh, from Monday to the next, we can be out of oil. We need to become independent of oil and this safe, and, and also so, save this, uh, solve this um, road safety uh, problem. Let's develop the bike. So in 74, one year after the oil crisis, they launched the bike plan. And the, the thing is, is that at that time when they did it, they had no country to compare. They could not go to another Netherlands where uh, the bicycles uh, had already the room, that where the cities were already bicycle uh, fr uh, friendly. So, uh, but they just started, you know, in the dark. But uh, one day to the next day, they started uh, through trial and error building a, a perfect bicycle um, country. And here it is, 46 years later, now it exists. And now in France, the same thing is happening. We also have a lot of traffic jams, uh, spaces invaded by cars. We also have road unsafety. The more and more bicycle users, they're, they're asking for safe streets. You know, they, they're really, they're organizing sometimes um, uh, human barriers to protect bikers from the cars. They said, you know, governments, you have a responsibility. You need to make it safe. And we have also a little uh, oil problem because, you know, the yellow vests revolution, uh, you must have heard about it, yeah. uh, you know, because the, the oil prices went up. Diesel um, became a lot more expensive in 2018. So many people, they were mad. They went out on the streets. 
And so we, we're having a little oil crisis here also. And uh, on 14 September 2018, the French government adopted also a bike plan, just like in the Netherlands in 1973. But the difference is that France now can just go to the Netherlands, you know, hop on a train, two hours later you're in the Netherlands, and there you can see what a, a bicycle-friendly uh, city looks like. And uh, that is actually what uh, Paris Ancel, one of our um, associations, did. They went to the Netherlands themselves to see how the Netherlands did it, what uh, what, what a good bicycle infrastructure looks like. It's, it's very fascinating. And they wrote a, a guide about it, 144 pages. It's online. And now they're distributing it to politicians and to um, and to. Uh, experts in uh, town in, uh, in municipalities so that they can actually use the, the advice and the knowledge that exists in the Netherlands to make France uh, bikeable and that is what is uh, what is happening now people now they're coming to us um, politicians to talk to us about it because they want to learn how can we make our, our cities uh, bikeable because it's also a question of quality of life you know people they don't want to be stuck in traffic anymore they're becoming sick of having to, you know, sit in the car for an hour and, and a half or sometimes two or more hours, uh, wasting time, whereas they could um, cover the same distance on a bicycle in, in much less time. And especially now the electric bicycles uh, are being developed a lot. And a lot of electric bikes. Uh, in the Netherlands, already half of the bikes that are sold are electric. In France, also many people buy electric bikes. So you solve the problem of the you know of the hills it's no longer a problem just like with the cars so it is a that's what's happening now and uh, we're, uh, we're we're doing our best to uh, to create this uh, this this bike uh, network we call it the RERV by the way and it's uh, it's a funny name because the RER is the name of the um, of the the train network in uh, in the Paris region and it's called RER but we call it the RERV of Velo, which means bike. So it's the RER yeah. bike networks. So that we really show to the people that uh, the network is a real um, transportation network, mm -hmm. but not for trains, but for bikes. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. What we accomplished here in, in the Paris region is that uh, we organized ourselves. It sounds like nothing, but it's actually what, what gives us this, this power to be credible in the eyes of decision makers. If you want to change things, you need a couple of things. The first thing you need is expertise. You need to know what you're talking about. You know, it's not, We're not just people saying, hello, we want bikes everywhere. No, we have the knowledge about how you do this, why you do this, when you should do this, with whom you should do this. And the second thing you need is you need to be... Uh, with a lot of people. I mean, if it's just two people screaming, hey, we want bikes, I mean, nobody's going to listen to you. But we're 4,000 people. That's a lot of people, and we're growing uh, day by day. But the, the third thing, which is extremely important as well, is that you need to be organized. You need to be able to talk as a professional organization with a professional attitude, with a professional uh, way of governing ourselves. You know, I'm talking to you now on behalf of 4,000 people. That is what gives us power. When we go and see the politicians, they know that we're representing a large group, not only of people, but also voters. You know, we have a, a we can inspire a lot of people, and, and that is what gives us this this um, this this impetus, this 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 strength that makes that people uh, believe in us. You know, and that makes us believe in our in, in ourselves even more. And it's it's a very positive 
um, uh, cycle that we've started here and that makes us stronger day by day. Professionalism is a, is a very important uh, uh, term. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Can you give me some of the information again? Like you, you had at least one book that you rev, that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, mention it. Um, let me let me look for it. I have it here. I'm actually still reading it. The best book you can uh, read about. It's already available in English. It was written in English actually. It's called The Dutch Blueprint for Urban Vitality. Building the Cycling City, and it is um, written by a couple by the name of Chris and Melissa Bruntlett, B-R-U-N-T-L-E-T-T, and it's a fantastic book because um, they're Canadians and they, they went to a couple of cities in the Netherlands and they completely described how they became bikeable, and it's it's a very, very good book with uh, nice illustrations, and it can... It can um, uh, be used as inspiration for other cities because nowadays, as the the recipe exists, we we don't need to wait uh, forty years like the Netherlands had to because they were alone. You just copy and you paste, and there you go. It's like you know building. If you build roads, you will build car drivers. If you build bicycle lanes, you will build bikers. It's like when you build closets, you fill them up with stuff. The more the more closets you build, the more stuff you have. It's the same thing for bicycle lanes. Mm-hmm. So, like induced demand for is a concept that we talk about. Absolutely, it's it's you know when you when you enlarge roads, but that's you know it, in in your region is I think shows it the best. And the, I think there's, there's there's one highway that's two times twelve lanes or something like that. Every time it costs a couple of billion dollars, right, to uh, to enlarge it, mm-hmm. and every time you create more traffic. Mm-hmm. I think the four so, uh, five, it could be the four hundred five you're talking about, but it's, I don't know if it's 12, 12, 24 lanes. But hey, we're famous for something. I'm happy to share the message. It's it's really it's a message a message of a of a societal transformation that's going on in in France. It, it happened in the Netherlands. Now it's it's being repeated here. I mean, I'm very curious to hear about how things are going in 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 in, in LA and in where you are, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, to see how we can inspire each other. Thank you for inviting us to, to talk to you. I mean, I would love to have more international exchanges Absolutely. because, uh, because yeah. this is how we can inspire us. Yeah, I want to talk to you again because I know you have other things you want to talk about. Uh-huh. Um, like there's a movie that you're, that you're showing, Why We Cycle. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. maybe we could talk about that next week or the week after or something one of these days. Perfect. With, with the greatest pleasure. I can, I can tell you about the impact of the bicycle on society. It's it's very interesting. Okay, well, we we hope to get there to where you are, and uh, you know, I just one last question: Do do you think that because you mentioned in the Netherlands and in Paris, you had these obstacles that forced people to get out of their cars? Uh-huh. Climate change—it's not really a physical obstacle, but do, do you think that will act as one that will that will get people out of their cars? You know, the climate emergency. No. No, it's not. It's not the first reason. No, the reason why people bike is it's it's firstly because it's uh, it's practical. It's more practical than a car. It's it's quicker in in urban areas. Uh, in in Paris, the average um, speed of a car is is fourteen kilometers an hour, and of the bike, it's fifteen kilometers an hour. So it's more practical, simply. Huh. And uh, and the second reason is that it's um, it's. Um, you feel better. It's it's a higher quality of life because in a car, you know, it's stressful. You're 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 stuck. You, know, you can't move. Yeah. Uh, you 
it, it costs it's cost a, a lot of money and on a bicycle you're really free so it's it's the only moment where you can really uh, un, 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 unwind uh, and be mm-hmm. disconnected and um you know, it's um, it's it's a place where where you're really free to have your own thoughts uh, mm-hmm. for yourself and to have a good time. We can't say that enough. And thank you for saying it. And let's talk again. Thank you. With greatest pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 